Right, we, we're going to crack on. Uh, let Turn in your Bibles, if you've got them with you, to Exodus chapter 13. And we're going to continue the story. I'm not going to recap where we got up to. If you want to find out, you can uh, look at it uh, online. Exodus chapter 13. We're going to get to this point uh, where the children of Israel are led by a cloud of a, a pillar of cloud and fire. And also they cross the Red Sea, this great moment. Okay, so Exodus chapter 13, uh, verses 17 to 22. And then we're going to skip to uh, chapter 14. We all good? Good, but it's good resounding, yes. Here we go. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God let the, led the people around by way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. And there's the verse 19. I don't really understand why Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. But anyway, that's what it says there. Somebody can tell me why that happened. Verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and it camped at Eltham. Oh no, sorry, Etam. Uh, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by, the day, by day in a pillar of cloud and led them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. That they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from them before the people. Skip on to chapter 14, and we're going to read from verse 10. What happened is the children of Israel, they went out of Egypt, and they were getting towards the Red Sea. They could have gone another way, but God said, no, you want, you want to go through the Red Sea. I'm going to take you to the Red Sea. At this point, Pharaoh said, hang about, these people that I've let go, they're not just going into the desert to offer sacrifices. They're leaving. And then Pharaoh says, what? I've made a mistake. No, no, no. If these guys leave, we're sunk. Get them back. So he said, you can go into the desert to, get, to offer sacrifices and praise. He then realized they were just leaving. So he said, right. And then he sent the army. He said, right, get all the army. Send them after them. We want these people back. I don't want them to go. Because if they do, Egypt is sunk. They are a labor force. How are we going to survive without them? So, Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, so the armies were following Israel. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their, their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, is it because there were not enough graves in Egypt that you had to take us out to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us up out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you shall see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. In other words, shut up. <laughs> Stop moaning. The Lord said to Moses, and then Moses gets in the neck from the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. 
and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And then the angel of the Lord, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them to their right and to their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw that the Egyptians, sorry, and the Israelites saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. And so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. It is one of the most um, phenomenal stories about God leading his people with this, like this cloud and fire. And you think, oh, it's a really simple thing. It sounds really simple for them to think, okay, we don't really know where we're going to go. But God is saying, look, I, trust me, I will lead you. I'm gonna lead. During the day, there's going to be this cloud and you can follow that cloud. And during the night, there's going to be this fire and you can follow that fire. But I wonder if it was actually that simple. Because... God took them on a roundabout way. He didn't take them the most direct way. They could have just gone from A to B, but he didn't do that. He took them roundabout because he wanted them to cross the Red Sea. I don't know what you're like with directions and travel. But if I'm going, so have you ever been in a taxi where you think, oh, to be honest, I know a better way to go than this. Nah, you don't want to be doing this. He's just, try, he's just trying to go the long way to make some money from me. And then you say to it, the worst thing you can say in the world to a taxi driver is, I think there's a quicker way, mate, to go. Don't do it. But it, I wonder if it's ever, ever been like that. Also, the other thing is, do you think there was only ever one cloud in the sky? Well, I think it's that cloud over there. I think we've got to follow that one. No, I think it's that. I can see the face of Jesus in that one over there. I think it's that one. Well, who's Jesus? I don't know. And, and, and there must be all these questions going on. How, how do they know which cloud it was to follow? And then it says it changes 
it changes during the, during the daytime it was a cloud and during the night it was fire. Well, what time exactly does it change? Sunrise or sunset? I don't know. And you know, and we think it's this really simple thing that God just took them out, two million of them walking through the desert. Imagine if they got it wrong. Right, you lot at the back, get them, they're now leading. Okay, all right, okay, we'll all turn around, all go. I mean, but it's, it, I don't think it's as simple as it looks, as it reads in the Bible. That it just says, oh, God led them like this. They had to use discernment. And I think over time, they must have learned, no, that is the cloud that is leading us. That's the cloud. And they recognised it and they learnt the way. I think um, Moses was called to follow this cloud and this fire. And it took them, to, I think, to learn how it was to follow. I think they, they had to learn what exactly the fire was that they followed. But we follow, we don't follow a cloud. We don't follow fire. So how are we supposed to navigate our lives? How are we supposed to know, oh, this is the way that God wants me to walk. This is what God is calling me to do. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And Jesus really clearly said, no, come, you just have to come and follow me. Come, follow me. Jesus, when the disciples didn't really know what to do, what did Jesus say? Look, look, I'm the way, I am the way. All you've got to do is follow me. And the, uh, what were the early Christians known as? Followers. Look, they're just followers. Put your hands up if you want to be a follower or a sheep. Come on. Who wants to be a sheep? What is, what is the, the, the most popular song that's played at funerals? No. And now, much more than this, I did it my way. Not sung like that. Why do people want to sing that song? Because they this said, nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. Nobody's going to say, oh, you need to. No, I did it my It was like this defiance right to the end. They're dying a death. They're defiant. I did it my way. No, but do you know, that is the opposite of what it means to be a Christian. Moses had to follow a cloud and they had to follow a fire and we follow Jesus. And, that's, and, and actually, there are verses that no, we, I've died to myself. I've died to myself but come alive in Christ. I lose my life only to find it. And you know, if you look at Instagram, it says, oh, follow your heart, follow your dreams. There are loads of signs that, that you can see that says, oh, follow your dreams. There are loads of signs that says, be a sheep. <laughs> like, they just aren't. But being a Christian is the opposite of what the world is saying. We talk about, you know, when we talk about, you know, when somebody becomes a Christian, we say, oh, they gave their life to Christ. And we talk about it really flippantly. You know, have I given my life to Christ? Have I given my life everything there is to it? Every decision on where I go, the leadership of my life, the lordship of my life what I do, where I say, what I give my time. Have I given my life to Christ? Do you know the early church, one of the phrases, that, and we talk about it a lot, okay. One of the phrases that was really important was this, Jesus is Lord. You can say that really casually, Jesus is Lord. But do you know what? Thousands of people died with those words on their lips because they refused to say that anything else was the Lord of their life. 
Jesus is Lord of my life. And do you know what I suspect even today? People will give their lives, will die, because they refuse to say anything other than Jesus is the Lord of my life. It's, the verse is Colossians 3, it says, For you have now died and your life is now hidden in Christ. I love that. I love it. I love the fact that actually God's calling me to, to give my life. I die to myself, but now I'm hidden in Christ. It's like God is saying, Duncan, you are pathetic. You're, you're sort of like, you're a loser. You haven't got anything. You've died. You weren't able to do it yourself. But now the righteousness of Christ comes and clothes you. I'm putting something on you. I'm putting, you are now acceptable before God because you are hidden in Christ. Where am I going? How can we able to say, we do have a problem, don't we? We follow Jesus, but we can't actually, we can't see him face to face. God has this invisibility problem again. When, when, it, when it says in, in uh, Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God, well, that was great for them when they could see him. But actually, we can't actually see Jesus now. It's difficult. How do we do it? Well, I'll tell you how we can be led by Jesus now, I think. For me, the most important of this, spend time with people who love Jesus. That's one of the best things in the world. Because they speak, when I'm talking nonsense, they speak truth into my life. They just, they get something, they speak something of grace into my life. Sing songs that talk about Jesus. It's just so good to sing worship songs to Jesus. You know, the other day when Terry Virgo was here, and, and he, Terry Virgo isn't maybe big in everybody else's life, but he's quite a big man in my life, okay? Because he's shaped everything that I've done for most of my adult life, to be fair. You know, and he came in here and he said, do you know the one thing I really loved? All those songs, they're about Jesus. I love it. I want to be, and it, actually I think Terry felt really at ease and at peace because, oh, it was about, Je we're singing about Jesus. So spend time, with it. read your Bible, what, longing to hear the whisper of Jesus. Don't, please don't read your Bible because you feel you have to. Out of duty, it's a nonsense. And just why do it? Go and read some poetry. But read your Bible if you want to hear Jesus whispering into your life. Come on, if you could sit down in the morning with your cup of coffee in your chair or wherever you do it, or on the tube, whatever it is, and if you can read your Bible thinking, Jesus, are you going to whisper into my life today? Now we've got something then. That's how we can be, that's how we can uh, walk with Jesus and be led with him. And when you feel Jesus speaks to you, try this. Try speaking back to him. In my notes I said, uh, talk back to him but that sounds a bit rude I don't, I'm not, I don't mean that but you know if you feel Jesus is saying something to your life and you read something and you read a verse in scripture and you think oh I think Jesus is saying this to me well talk back to him how am I going to do that you've got to help me you've got to guide me invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life when you feel the Holy Spirit nudging you to go somewhere to do something to say something well just try it see what happens and when you do that you'll find that you, Jesus is leading your life in exactly the same way that Moses was led by a cloud. There were, I suspect there were loads of clouds, but in the end they'd worked out the cloud they had to follow and the fire, bit of fire they had to follow. And when we do that for long enough in our lives, we will find that Jesus is leading our own lives. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Do you know, just very practically, that was how we, how we can be led by our own lives. In a church, one of the best things that I've heard as a church, and recently was this, just abandoned vision. Abandoned trying to be a leader that brings vision to the church. It just, it doesn't, it's not very helpful. Because it, for me, at the beginning of the year, <coughs> I have to try and say, okay, I have to have some vision that is inspiring enough for you to think, oh, I can follow that. 
And so I have to try and work really hard and think, okay, I hope they'll get this vision, they'll help, they'll follow it. And, they get, and No, but it's nonsense. And if you do follow it, it makes me feel bad. And if you don't follow it, guess what? It makes me feel bad. You know, think, so I can't, you can't win. But band and vision, and band and being, trying to be a visionary leader, but be the leader that says, follow Jesus. Go into your homes and follow Jesus. Go into your workplaces and follow Jesus. Come to church to follow Jesus. Surrender all to him. Did anyone spot anything quite unusual around verse 15? When it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Do you know, I think it's one of the few times I see in the Bible where God says to people, oh, just stop praying. Just stop it. Just stop. I don't think actually God does say stop praying, but I think there are certain times where God had said to these people, just get on with what I've called you to do. Get up, advance, go forward. And you know, I think sometimes, like, we it's not a case of just doing something in duty or just like thinking, oh, I must do it. But God is saying, look, I, I know what, this is what I've called you to do. Therefore, I want you to get on with it. Don't do it begrudgingly. Don't do it because you have to, but advance in faith. If you feel that God has called you to into an area, you know, to open, well, we're trusting that God will open certain doors for us. God will sort of like open doors at work or God will open North London for it or God will plant and grow and encourage many churches across North London. I think there's a certain point where you just think, okay, well, let's just get on with it. Let's just try and do something. And you know, at the moment, we ju I just hear so many stories about people um, like starting small Bible studies. Can I tell you about <laughs> It involves a, a, a rude word, okay, so just forgive me for this, okay. I was in prison last Wednesday leading a Bible study with an arsonist and a bank robber. Okay, it's quite funny. <laughs> bank robber, he wasn't the sort of guy who put a pair of tights over his head and walked into a bank <laughs> with a gun, <clears throat> but he strapped a load of oxycetylene tanks to a cash point and blew them up. Okay, so anyway, so he's now, in, he's now in prison for quite a long time. And he was complaining about the lack of chapel. And I said, well, okay, let's, come, let's just go and do a Bible study right now. So we went out and he said, I told you, Duncan, I just now feel effing fantastic. Except for the thing is he didn't say effing and I won't say the word he said. But he, there was something, he just said, I just feel effing amazing. And I thought, well, you're not really supposed to say it like that. But anyway, we'll take it as it is. But, but you know, there's sometimes I think we just literally sometimes have to do, have to get on with what we're called to do. And I hear story after story about people taking a risk and praying for their friends people taking, taking a risk and starting these little Bible studies. We've had this little Bible study that's just started at our house. Well, I'm not leading, I'm not actually involved in it, but you think, oh, come on. There's things that God has called us to do. I went for a walk with Clive the other day uh, on um, Thursday up at Basildon. All this, that, the Alpha Course at Basildon is just amazing. 16 people on the Alpha Course at Basildon. It's just really good, planting a church. Well, Clive is really overseeing planting that church. It's just exciting. We went for a walk through the woods near his house, and I thought, oh, it's quite good. Then this guy comes limping along, and I just thought, I just know what Clive's going to do. I know what's, what's going to happen, okay? So we <laughs> and then he starts talking to this guy, and then he's, he's quite an old guy. He says, oh, yeah, I've just got a dodgy hip. So you think, okay, right. And you think, I know. So Clive said, 
right, we believe Jesus is going to heal you. And then he just said, oh, and then in the middle of the woods, he said, do you mind if I put my hand on your hip? And I'm thinking, right, two guys walking in the woods. Then he says, can I put your hand on your hip? You're thinking, well, maybe could be misinterpreted. But anyway, he just said, look, don't worry, I'm just going to put my hand here. And then he just prayed to Jesus, come and heal this man's hip. Now, that guy, when we said to him, does it feel better? He said, oh, I'm not really sure. But the point of it is this, Clive took a risk. Clive took a risk. And actually, we want to see the kingdom of God break out. And sometimes I think the Lord says, look, stop praying and just get on with what I've called you to do. Step out in faith. The other thing I just want to mention about the Red Sea is this, that why, why, why did God take them to the Red Sea? When they could have, there was a much quicker route when he didn't have to go through the Red Sea, why did he take the Red Sea and then have to do all this like miraculous shenanigans to get them through it? Why could he just say, well, just walk round? In fact, in a prayer meeting earlier, Dorley, you said I'd, you'd look for the bridge or you just want to go round or something. Why go through the Red Sea? It wasn't the most direct route. Well, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 and he said this, that the Israelites were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Pharaoh hadn't agreed to let the Israelites go permanently. He'd agreed to let them go into the desert to offer sacrifices. But everything changed at the Red Sea. Everything changed. Their freedom became permanent at the Red Sea. They had been saved earlier. When they put the blood of the lamb on their, on their doorposts and the Passover, you know, and then the angel of death had come over, the doorpost with the blood on the, la- on the doorpost, yeah, that's fine, they're saved. <clears throat> they had been saved by that blood on that, on that lamb. But they became free when they went through the Red Sea. Why? Because the whole of Egypt was annihilated. The enemies were dead. It was this amazing moment. Their former slave owners were just swept away. God closed that chapter of being slaves on them. And then in the morning, it said, they looked and they just saw piles and piles of dead bodies. And, and, and actually, it's there, and it's in the Bible, because God wants to make the point. Look at all the dead bodies. Look at all those defeated things that are there. It's like, I'm sh- I don't know what, but it must have been the Israelites. They saw all these dead bodies, and the next morning, and You're no longer my master. I don't care. You're dead. I don't belong to you anymore. You have been killed. God has won a victory. And I think it's exactly the same. That The Israelites had to go through this baptism. Baptism for us is more than just a symbol. It's more than just something that's really nice when you just sit down and you go through these waters. But it's when you publicly declare you belong to Jesus. You, you, make, you make this public declaration and say, no, I'm done with that old way of being a slave to Satan. You know, I, I always think that you can give your life to Jesus in your room. You just do it in, your, in the quietness of your room, you know, or with somebody, or somebody can just pray for you, and you think, oh, that's good. And you give your life to Christ at that moment. But when you get baptised, you go public. And you know, there's a lot of times when you hear that like, people give their lives to Christ, oh, it's all going really well. They get baptised, suddenly the attacks come. Suddenly, life becomes really difficult. Why? You've gone public that you are no longer, those enemies have been defeated. 
And I think if you, I just want to say, if you've never been baptised, get baptised. I can't actually remember the date of the next. Anyone who's got the little, ca- has anyone got the little calendar on them? When is it? Come on, Sandy, thank you. The next baptism service is on the 14th of November. If you have not been baptised, get baptised then. It's more than just symbolic. It's like you're saying, I am no longer a slave. I'm no longer a slave to these people here. I am now one in Christ. NASA got baptised. Well done. He said yes. <laughs> Just very briefly. The next bit but that, we re- that we didn't read actually was um, uh, a song of Moses just talking about Thanksgiving. They, they go through the Red Sea and Moses sings this extraordinary song. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Genuine heartfelt worship. This was, a, this was an extraordinary song of worship. Genuine heartfelt worship is never done out of duty or because you think, okay, it's Sunday. I've got to go to church. I've got to go and do that stuff again. And I've got to go and sing. And then can we just get on with everything else? And then I can go home and have my lunch and do the rest of the day. No, that's not it. Genuine worship is when you realise what God has done in your life. And when you realise, oh my word, look at what you have done for me. That is when worship really comes. I just need to, I'm going to move on quickly because we haven't got lots of time. I think there's another thing about just gratitude. Gratitude. Just, I don't know what it is about being grateful, but I I think there is something of, when we are are grateful for what God has done, it, it brings on a fresh revelation and almost like fresh provision. And that is what Moses was doing. He was just saying, God, I thank you for what you've done. Just the other day, it was really interesting. Years ago, um, I started saying just the other day and then years ago. I'm going to go years ago first. We took the team out to a church out in Northern Ireland called Causeway Coast uh, Vineyard in Coleraine. And we saw some church, Manuela was on that team, and we saw something in that church that was extraordinary. It's this massive church, but they have this amazing like, love for Jesus, amazing desire to see people saved. Amazing sort of like commitment to being a prophetic people. Amazing um, desire to see their city transformed. You know, they have these, all these um, car boot sales and they have polytunnels and all that sort of thing. And I don't know, it was quite a few years ago, wasn't it, that we went, maybe five, six years ago, something like that. But we, I saw something at that point and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great, you know, if we could do something. And then, then the other day, Meryl Thompson who's the wife of Paul Thompson, who leads the church in Upminster, who was here when Terry was here, and we're, we're working with him a bit. Meryl came and looked around at the centre. She'd been at church, and then she came and looked around at the centre, and she saw the debt centre, and she saw baby basics, and she saw the polytunnel, you know, and she saw the food bank, and she said, do you know what, I've never seen a church like this. And there was that, that moment when I thought, God, thank you for what you're doing because we, I want to thank God for Causeway Coast Vineyard because we saw something there years and years and years ago and then bit by bit you think, oh, God has done something and it's completely different. We could never be like Causeway Coast Vineyard because they're like 800 people. But God has, God has shaped something in us that actually as a smaller church in a big city, we can still do something that is transforming our local area and seeing God break out. And I just think, no, I want to be grateful for what God is doing in our midst. <clears throat> We're going to finish. Just put your hands up if you like to moan. 
Anyone, anyone who likes a good moan? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just to let you know, the Israelites, they were master moaners. <laughs> they were phenomenal at it. They were the best Moaners you could ever, they just like moaners and grumblers. They were, they were very, very good at it. And I think it's because they had a slave mentality. You know, they'd been in slavery for years. All this stuff, piled, they can't do anything about it. Wherefore, what do you do? We just moan. <laughs> I ate them. There's nothing they could do. And then what we, we can't read the verses because we don't have time, but uh, straight after they went through the Red Sea, Moses sings, sings the best worship song that you could ever, ever sing has ever been written. And then straight away afterwards, what do the Israelites do? I'm really thirsty. I ain't been here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> food. Call that food. I don't think so. And then when God does provide food, they say, well, thank you for doing that, but it's pretty boring. Don't really like that food after all. And then they started moaning about Moses and Aaron. They were just, they were the master moaners. I, I just need to, if I'm really honest, my, my reflection on who we are as a church is that you may well have put your hand up, but I don't see us as a moaning church. And thank God for that, okay. Thank God for that. But I just, I don't see us like really as a particularly moaning church. But do you know, sometimes when we, I don't know if you, like you give your life to Christ and you think, oh, it's great. And then suddenly all these things come in and it's easy just to moan. But I, I think God often takes me to a place where it's easy for me to moan, if I'm really honest. And I do like a little grumble. But it is easy. And, and there's, there are times when I just think, oh, I, I find myself in this place of moan. Even when I was preparing this, on Friday morning, I spoke to Cooley and I found myself just moaning about a situation with some leaders from another church that we're not, that we are connected to. It's not like the immediate church that we, but I'd ask some leaders from another church to get involved in something that we're doing. And I asked them in August and then I asked them in September and then I asked them in October and they kept saying, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm sure we'd be able to do that. And yet when I come back and say, look, can you do it? Then they just don't come back. And I found myself talking to Cooley and just moaning about them. And I thought, oh, come on. And I, I realised I was wrong. And God often puts me in a place where I, I want to moan because it makes me feel better. I, I want to moan to myself. I want to moan to other people because then they will help me feel better. But you know the truth of this? When... When the Israelites moaned, I think God had words for them. He said, no, please don't moan. But the, the, the key point is this. Do you know God can cope with your moaning? And God can cope with your grumbling. And I think God will often put me in a place where I'm tempted to moan myself, to myself, or to other people. Actually, in those moments, what God is saying is this. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to me. And it was this like this revelation. I thought, I'm going to preach on it. But I thought, oh, I had this moment of revelation. These leaders, I'm thinking and moaning, but why aren't you getting involved? And then I thought, 
No, actually, I just need to take that to God. God, what do you want to do in this situation? It was a whole new way of thinking for me. And I thought, no, I'm not going to, because actually moaning can be quite destructive in a church. It can just spread all sorts of like bad attitudes and it makes you think everything is going really wrong. But no, God say, no, I want you to come. And I believe this, that when we take the things that want us to moan, when we take them to the Lord, he will act. He might change me. He might change others. He might change the circumstances, but he will act. And the truth of it is this. Every time the Israelites moaned, when they learned to moan to God, God provided and God brought a breakthrough. We're going to finish. Can I ask you to stand, please? Heavenly Father, we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and shape us. If there is anything that I have said today that God breathed on, anything that that I said today that actually you heard the voice of the Lord in, that got into your heart, that got into your mind. I'm going to ask you in a moment to, to raise your hand. Not to make me feel better, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Because in doing that, sometimes it's almost like God cements something in our lives. And we raise our hand and we say, yes, God, that was for me. You spoke into my life at that point. And if you haven't been baptised and you want to get baptised, I want you to raise your hand. But anything you feel the Lord has spoken to you, just raise your hand. So can I just invite you? Just raise your hand right now. If there's anything that God has spoken into your life this morning. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. Father, we pray that you would come and seal something in our lives right now. God, as we just respond to you, Lord, open-handedly, we say, come, Lord. We want to be led by you as Moses was led in the desert and led his people to freedom. Jesus, would you come and lead us? I pray come and speak to us, whisper to us, come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, we would see like extraordinary breakthroughs. Would we see the miraculous breaking out around us? Would we see North London change? Would we see hundreds of churches planted across North London? Because we've been led by you, our Lord, and being obedient to your call. Father, we thank you. In any areas where we're tempted to, to moan, to be frustrated in, Lord, we come and we give them to you. Would you come and provide? Would you come and change us, change others, or change the circumstances? But come and do a mighty work through us, we pray. Father, thank you.